Good morning, everybody. Our first part of our Bible reading is from Joshua chapter 2. Rahab, uh, sorry. <laughs> then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go, look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, Look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house, because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman who had taken the two men and hidden them, she said, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given this land to you and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts sank and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through the window, for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. She said to them, Go to the hills so that the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there for three days until they return, and then go on your way. Now the men had said to her, This oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers and all your family into your house. If any of them go outside your house into the street, their blood will be on their own heads. We will not be responsible. As for those who are in the house with you, their blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on them. But if you tell what we are doing, we will be released from the oath you made us swear. Agreed, she replied. Let it be as you say. So she sent them away, and they departed, and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. When they left, they went into the hills and stayed there three days until the pursuers had searched all along the road and returned without finding them. Then the two men started back. They went down out of the hills 
forded the river and came to Joshua, son of Nun, and told him everything that had happened to them. They said to Joshua, The Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. The second reading is from Philemon, and it's from halfway through verse 9, 9b, to the end of the chapter. It is as none other than Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he's become useful to both you and me. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me, so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent, so that any favour you do would not seem forced, but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever. So no, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He's very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I have, may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one thing more, prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you his greetings. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Thanks, Michelle, and good morning, everybody. You know, I, I needed to share with you this morning, I recently found myself in a space where I needed to make a difficult decision. And the decision was difficult because all the options were good. Um, the problem in making this decision is I soon realised that it, it wasn't just me there as I made the decision. In fact, there were, there were people watching. Uh, my decision might affect their decision. And whilst you'd hope as more people would come, you might feel, oh, maybe they're here to support me. I actually felt a pressure from them that they were wanting me to make my decision quickly, as difficult as I found it to make. I found as I pressed in and was moving closer to the point of decision, I could actually feel my temperature change. I felt that I was maybe getting a little bit cooler. You see, I was at the Gelato Emporium, just at the top of the hill, and there's so many options in front of me, and I'm thinking, well, which one will I have? And everyone got off a bus behind me, and they're all behind me, and they're like, come on, mate, make your decision. And it was tough. So I've come up with a new way that I choose my ice cream from now on. Uh, I did it on that day. The first one I see that talks to me, bang, I go. I don't even look at another one. The first one I think, mm, maybe, yep, that's it. No more looking. So I had bubble gum that day. It's all right. 
I enjoyed it. First one that spoke to me, bubblegum was mine. Sometimes you find yourself in that sort of situation where you've got to make a difficult decision. Now, easy decisions are where one option is bad and one option is good. Difficult decisions are where lots of options are good and one option is great. This morning, as we continue in our series in Philemon, I want to share with you in this idea of the ties that bind. This morning, we're talking about the primary tie. What is the thing or who is the one we are tied to that will help us make the best decision amongst good decisions? To get us there, I just want to do a little bit of revision with you. Uh, now, I can't win. I can't win at church because some of the 8 o'clock has told me, oh, that reference, that's too new. I've never heard of that. I thought, I'm in the 90s for crying out loud. I preach this at night and it's going to be too old. So I'm hoping I'm in the sweet spot here, folks. I really am. Anyway, so what's the difference between these two groups? You've got the cast of Friends. And you've got uh, the Fellowship of the Ring there. The difference between these folks is what we've been talking about. On the one hand, you've got Ross and Monica and Chandler and Phoebe and Joey and Rachel. Uh, they're friends. What binds them together is that they like each other. Uh, they, 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 they live in spaces together, they do things together, and they like one another. And the relationship is me to you and you to me, and me to you and you to me, and me to you and you to me. On the other hand, we've got the Fellowship of the Ring. And these are people, as we learned last week, aren't even of the same species. We've got hobbits, we've got dwarves, we've got elves, we've got humans, we've got a, a guy who's meant to be king, really want to be, and a guy who kind of wants to be king, but you'll never be. And so there's reason for lots of tension between all of these people, but what brings them together? It's not immediately the, let's hang out together. There is something beyond them, it's this mission that pulls them together and they are a fellowship. And so the difference between the two groups is one is friendship and one is what we have come to understand as fellowship. Both these groups offer something great. Who doesn't like friendship? But there's something amazing in fellowship. When we're bound together by something beyond us. And this is the primary tie for us to explore. As we saw in verse 6, this is kind of the key to the whole letter. Paul's prayer for Philemon is that your koinonia, your partnership, your fellowship with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. The prayer of Paul for Philemon is that somehow by being bound to Christ and therefore bound with one another, to be invested and participating together in the body of Christ, that this might be the very thing that is instrumental and effective in helping Philemon to understand and to grow in every good thing that we have in Christ. Paul wants us to know in Philemon that it is fellowship, as good as friendship is, as good as all these other things are. It's this koinonia. This relationship centered on Christ that we can share with one another that can be instrumental in discovering every good thing we have in Christ. I, I turn to another to understand a little bit more about what this idea of koinonia or fellowship means. And uh, one of the leading New Testament commentators, a guy who's written on Philemon, Doug Moo, Moo says this fellowship based, it's fellowship based on faith or produced by faith rather than fellowship in faith, better captures the significance. I'll say that again. Fellowship based on faith or produced by faith, 
rather than fellowship in faith, better captures the significance. The way I understand what Moo is saying is kind of the difference between a golfing foursome and a basketball team. A golfing foursome is me and some people I like who I would carefully select who are equally as terrible at golf as I am. We like to do it together so we all go play golf together. And your score does not affect my score and my score does not affect your score. But gee, we like playing golf together and isn't it great that we can do it together? Sounds like a good thing, except when you see my scorecard. A basketball team, equally, we might like doing it together, but the thing that's pulled us onto the court together is a common scorecard, right? That's what's pulled us together. We're going to have different roles. We're going to participate with another. There's going to be an investment in one another, and it's that common goal of getting this ball in that hoop uh, as many times as we can that pulls us together. Do you see the difference between a golfing foursome and a basketball team? If you can see that, then you see the difference between uh, fellowship that is based on faith and comes from faith rather than fellowship that is in faith. And that's what we're talking about. This morning, as we explore verses 9 to 16 of this reading, what I want us to understand is how do we prioritize the primary tie? There are many wonderful things that we can be tied to, just like many great flavors of ice cream. But how do we notice and how do we make sure that we're prioritizing the primary tie, our, our binding to Christ and therefore our binding with one another? So let's explore through Paul's own experience what some of those wonderful ties can be. Because right now, Paul's actions are not reflecting Paul's feelings. He says to Philemon, I'm sending him, he's talking about Onesimus. Now, next week I'll tell you more about the, the slave-master relationship with Onesimus and Philemon. And there's some things to say about that that will be important. We'll pick it up next week. But he's saying to Philemon, I'm sending Onesimus to you, who is my very heart. Whoa. This is like saying, I'm tearing out my heart right now. What Paul is talking about is some very significant, uh, wonderful ties that he has to this man Onesimus. And you would think, well, then why on earth would you send him away? Well, because Paul recognizes his primary tie. And so let's explore this together. Paul says of Philemon, this man is my very heart. I'm bound to him. It's not insignificant. He is a guy who I love and love greatly. In fact, a word I've come to love in the New Testament, sorry for all the Greek, is the word splagna. And it's a word that's being used now. Now, it literally means bowels, entrails, or guts. Here it's translated heart, because that's what we tend to feel with. In the New Testament, they go a little deeper, down to the gut. Uh, if you want to get a real idea of what this is like... This is the language that is used by, uh, used by the gospel writers. They talk about Jesus when he feeds the 5,000. He looked upon them and they seemed like sheep without a shepherd and he had splagna for them. He had compassion for them. The one who came to lay down his life saw these people in their desperation and he felt something so deeply within that he got involved. This is a word that I was once rebuked by a Greek mother about who said, you preacher, you'll never understand what splagna means until you birth a child. She was serious. Until you know someone who has come from your womb, you won't feel that level of connection. Well, what Paul's saying right now is, man, I'm bound to this guy, Onesimus. 
and bow to him. He's my very heart. He's my splugna. Man, he bleeds, I bleed. For him to go away is like tearing out my heart. He's got more to say about Onesimus. He's really bound to this guy, Onesimus. In verse 10, he says, he became my son while I was in prison. What does that mean? It's hard to tell exactly. I don't think it means that Paul necessarily led uh, Onesimus to Jesus because Paul also calls someone else his son. Now, Paul has a lot of nice things to say about people. He calls people fellow workers. He calls them beloved. I don't think he calls too many people his son. He calls Timothy his son. Timothy, a guy he shaped. He took what Christ had put in him and he started to cultivate that in Timothy, who was already a believer, led by his grandma and his mum. But he's tied to Timothy as he shapes Timothy and sends Timothy. And it seems that that's the kind of relationship that has come about with this man, Onesimus. He's my heart. Because he's my heart, I've invested in him. I've shaped him and disciplined him and taught him like a father does to a son. This guy Philemon became a son to me. I am, I'm invested in him. I have splugna for him. Here's my heart. If he goes on further, he says, you know, this is verse 11. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful to both you and me. I mean, aside from all the emotional heart stuff and that great affection, aside from the time and the energy and the investment, this guy, this guy Onesimus, I want you to know, he's just plain useful. And you know, when you're in prison, bound to a Roman guard and you can't go anywhere without him, having someone who's got your back who will nip down to 7-Eleven and get you a slushy? that's a really good guy to have around. Not even a chuckle. Wow. Um, this is a guy who I am bound to. Are any, of these bind- are any of these bindings bad? Do you know? Of course they're not. This is wonderful stuff. He's my heart. He's become my son. I'm invested in him. And he who was useless has now actually grown into his name because Onesimus means useful. So formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful to both you and me. So I'm keeping him. That's not what he says in verse 12. In an era where we're almost commanded to follow our feelings, Paul doesn't. He feels one way and they're all great feelings, but he acts a different way. He said, I'm sending him who is my very heart back to you. You know, verse 13, I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me. Now, why would Paul say that? Well, because he introduced us early in the letter to Philemon, a dear friend and fellow worker. Well, guess what, fellow worker? Good news. In your absence, Onesimus is doing some of your role. I don't know what that role is specifically, but this guy, Onesimus, he's doing it. And I love you, Philemon. You're beloved to me. Well, Onesimus has slotted in. He's a fellow worker too. Man, I would have loved to have kept him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in change for the gospel. But here's the thing, Philemon. I didn't want to do anything without your consent. 
so that any favor you would do would not seem forced but would seem voluntary and here Paul is saying look <laughs> it was really easy to just go uh, I'll just keep him and we'll figure it out later he said no, no no what I want now right now Philemon is I want this and you can literally translate this from not voluntary but according to what you deem necessary according to your necessity Philemon I want what happens next to be the thing that is according to where your heart is at at how your heart is shaped at how you are changed Paul goes on verse 15 he says perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever no longer as a slave but better than a slave as a dear brother he is very dear to me but even dearer to you both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord friends what's going on here is though Paul is rightly and wonderfully bound to this man Onesimus Onesimus he's bound because he has this splugna this wonderful affection for him he's bound because he's invested in him and he's like a son he's bound because the guy's just plain useful there's a lot of utility in this but the thing is Paul recognizes a primary tie and that primary tie wonder how this will go is that he's bound to Christ and when you're bound to Christ you're bound to Christ's people here's how it works out for Paul being bound to Christ he recognizes this primary tie over and above these wonderful 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 threefold wonderful ties and he goes this way why does he think that this is the way to go and he's bound to Christ because do you remember his prayer in the beginning verse 6 again I'm praying that your partnership with us, your koinonia, that that might be the thing that is instrumental in you understanding every good thing we have for the sake of Christ. He's saying, what I want to help you grow in your knowledge and love of Jesus and every good thing we have in him, I'm praying that that will come through your active participation in life with others for the sake of Christ. So he says at this point, though Onesimus, beloved, invested, and useful to me, all the more useful to you. How the more useful to you? Well, to start with, and we'll pick it up next week, there's going to need to be a long chat between Philemon and Onesimus. Someone's done someone wrong. There's going to be a path to reconciliation required. But what Paul says, I'm sending you, him back to you. Now, make no mistake, verse 16, he's not saying, and so release him from slavery. That's not what's happening here. Again, I'll pick that up next week. He's saying, though he comes back as a slave, there will be binds there. I want you to receive him back better as a dear brother. Simultaneously the slave, but also the dear brother. And as a dear brother, perhaps just perhaps this separation that happened between you was so that there might be a resetting in the relationship a resetting in the relationship so that you would see one you might have condescended to and just looked down upon as your slave as a dear brother one you might have looked at and said for the time of your slavery your mind you will now look at and say you'll be with me as my brother forever See, Philemon is being called by Paul to act according to the primary ties. 
That though these things might exist, wonderful as they are, Paul's saying, don't you see, Philemon, I want us to be bound to Christ Jesus so that by me sending him back to you, despite how much I want to keep him, it might pull you two together in a way where that koinonia, that fellowship might help you to realize that in Christ we have reconciliation. In Christ we have relationships beyond friendship for life, but fellowship for eternity. Philemon, I want you to see that in Christ and when you're bound to him, there is so much more than even the most wonderful ties that exist. And so watch me go first. I'm going to surrender my boy Onesimus and those wonderful ties because I'm primarily, primarily tied to Christ and his people. Can you imagine the tension for Paul at that point? Put yourself in that spot. Put yourself in the spot where you're in a Roman prison, bound to a guard. We're not in a prison. You're you're probably in your house, but you're bound to a guard. You can't go where he doesn't go, and you go everywhere he goes. And there's a guy you love. He's your heart. He's useful to you. And for the sake of Christ, rather than keep him, you're going to send him away. Can you imagine how you'd be torn? You'd be like, what am I doing? This is crazy. But this is what it is to be bound to Christ. I wonder if you've ever found that kind of tension in your own life. I have. It gets harder than picking gelato. There's that chuckle. Thank you. Where do you find your ties in tension? I'm not talking about that easy message you might be expecting where it's like, oh, you know, flee the chains of sin and go with the chains of righteousness. That's not what this morning's about. This morning's like, what do you do when there's wonderful stuff, but there's primary stuff? It's a harder choice. Our hearts can find tension. We can find tension in our heart, right? Just like Paul would be finding it there. Here's my own heart. It tears my heart out to do this. Have you ever had a conversation with your friends, your family, maybe a parent or a child. And you know what it would be to stand for Christ at this point. You know the position you should take for Christ at this point. You know the things you should say yes to for Christ at this point. You know the things you should say no to for Christ at this point. But you also know the look on their face if you do it. You also know that it's going to be hard for the relationship Are you silly for valuing the relationship? Of course not. It's a wonderful tie. They are your hearts. You don't want to ruin that. But there's a primary tie. It's difficult. Now, what do we all want to see? You you want to look around the room and see no blue because all the seats are full, right? We want to see our church full. We want to be like, gee, we've got to plant another service, build another building. There's not enough room for everyone. And sometimes our hearts, as we desire in evangelism and growing our church, our hearts can sometimes get the better of us as there might be some sticking points for folks where they'll really need to repent. And so we shy away from presenting the full story of Jesus and what he stands for. Brothers and sisters, we know there are churches around the world whose hearts are good. They want to see people in church. But sometimes they will forsake the primary tie of telling the full message of Jesus and the wonderful story of repentance and turning around that is in him as that tension becomes too much. 
And so let us know our primary tie, even when there's a good heart thing going on and your feelings are pulling one way, may we be bound primarily to Christ. You know, there are times when we're invested, just like Paul's invested, this guy is my son. Man, I've poured myself into him while being chained to a guy. We feel this kind of investment sometimes and the you don't even want to know what Jesus is going to say because that could cause you to have to turn away from an investment. I heard an amazing story about this many years ago from a uh, retired, I don't know if ministers ever retire, I don't think they do, but this guy was sort of retired. Uh, he had led a, quite a significant church in Victoria. And he tells the story of when he first got saved and he went along to this starter upper church. We call them church plants. He goes along to this starter upper church as a baby Christian and the church is starting to grow. And so the eldership team, along with the church, they do all the necessary meetings, they buy property. They buy property and the church continues to grow and things are going quite well until what inevitably will happen in churches, because what are churches? The communities of self-confessed sinners. Uh, we have lumps and bumps, somewhere between pathological and problematic. I shared that with you last week. Eventually there's a big problem and there's a bit of a split. And so one of the uh, significant families in the eldership are like, no, we're done with this, we're going. But we're not going quietly. So they're going to leave the church and they're like, and in actual fact, if you look back, this property is ours. And so they start a lawsuit and they're going to take the church to court so that they might take the property with them. Now, these guys, this main group of elders, they've got a strong case. They're not going to lose the property. And so this retired minister I met, he said, so in my youth, I said to the senior pastors and all those sorts of guys, well, let's go, let's get them, let's do this, let's go to court. Do you know what happened? Those elders stepped forward and they said, in our understanding of 1 Corinthians 6, Christians don't go to law against Christians. Let them have it. They've lost all their property. I'm not here this morning to give you a, a final statement on how to understand 1 Corinthians 6. What I'm here to do is help us understand where our primary ties are for them. Their primary tie was we don't want to be those Christians that had to go to law against other Christians. We'd rather be wronged. Despite their significant investment, they, like people in this church, gave mortgage houses, did all the stuff to get the property. They let it go. And by went their investment but strong was their tie to Christ. They stayed with him. And in God's blessing, that church grew and it went well. This is not a story of, so do God's thing and it will grow and it will go well. <sighs> not always, sometimes, not always. God doesn't make that promise. But what did happen is a young man's faith was changed forever. Where he saw these people in the face of investments and losing it, he, was, he saw them say, no, we're tied to Christ and him first. Now, I tell you that story and you think, gee, I'll probably never be in that situation. And you possibly won't be, but you'll be in one like it. Because churches are like kids. When they're healthy, they grow and things change. Inevitably comes a day where something that was amazing and great things happened and you've seen the photos and you were part of it and people got saved and people grew and it shaped you but we're not in that time or space anymore and Christ is calling us to a next thing and it might be time to close that finish that and start the next thing and you're like but we invested so much side note I'm not here to announce any changes this morning this is in Robin's absence I'm not here to say and so that's not what's happening but it also is what's happening 
inevitably things change. And sometimes it's really hard to turn you back on that investment you've had because Christ is calling somewhere new. Here's a small place to ponder, your life group. This is a space that happens all the time. Look, life groups are an interesting little space where you might start, you know, in a beautiful koinonia fellowship where you don't even know these people. You come together because you want to do life together and learn about Jesus and it's fellowship from faith. And after about two years, you get formation. Oh, I actually like these people and I get them and we know how to argue and we know how to support and that's great. And then you, after four years, get this danger of fossilization where nothing will ever change and you'll stay in the same group forever. It can be really hard because in the case of like a life group, you've not only got affection for one another, you've got investment of making this happen. You remember when you were strangers and now you're close. But if you, as we do, pray that these seats might all be full, a church like this can't function without more life groups. That means more leaders need to be raised. Sometimes a group that is one, that's getting bigger, might need to become two, might need to become three. I heard from a previous leader somewhere that these days we measure the quality of a church by how many people are there. Once upon a time, they measured the quality of a church by how many people they send into different spaces. You know, imagine that you sort of have this, this young youth kid, maybe, maybe he's coming back from Ignite. She's on her way back from Ignite. And wow, they came to faith. We're going to watch that happen. We're going to sow into them and become like a son or a daughter to so many of us. And there'll be investment and affection. And then one day we say, and so we're sending them off. And you go, why would you lose them? Because they're God's instrument. And we want to see him use them. Because the primary tie pulls them away. And it's attention. These are wonderful things, right? But let us never forget what the primary tie is. Here's the last one. What about this just idea of being useful? Sometimes things are just convenient, right? Who hates convenience? Who likes to be interrupted? Who likes it when the aisle, the, 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 the checkout aisle you pick is the slowest? None of us, right? We like things to be convenient, but sometimes we choose this wonderful tie that is convenient over the primary tie. I'll show you a way this can happen just in life together. Have you ever heard, I'm not shaming anyone, but I do want to call you to change your thinking. Have you ever used or heard the expression, it's easier to ask for forgiveness than to seek permission? It's not a good saying. It's not Paul's saying. Paul could have said, and look, seeing that Onesimus was here and he's doing such a bang-up job, I figured I'd just keep him. You'll forgive me, right? After all, you owe me your very life. He doesn't do that. He said, no, no, I'm sending him back to you so that any favor, like Paul might send him back again, any favor you do, that might be according to your feeling of necessity. Because I'm bound to Christ, that means I'm bound to you, that means I don't take you for granted. I don't take your forgiveness for granted. I look you eye to eye, and in this case, I seek your permission, and I entrust myself to you because we're bound together, and I trust you to act according to the discernment that God has given you that we might be tighter together in Christ. There are times of tension, aren't there? I know you know this. But in these times of tension, then they come when these things are most colourful and wonderful. Let us always remember, brothers and sisters, our primary tie is our tie to Christ who ties us to one another. Let that always be primary. Let's prioritise the primary for deeper and eternal relationships together. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for our Lord Jesus.
We thank you that he is our primary tie. We thank you that we, like Paul, are bound to him and therefore bound to one another. Father God, by this binding, may we grow in true deep affection for one another. May we grow in true investment for one another. Lord God, may we serve and help one another. But Lord God, as wonderful as these things are, may we always be ready to be led by the Lord Jesus 